When I was a kid, every summer, our family would take a road trip. Heading west, out to visit my grandparents. We would pile our family into the van and hit the highway. And as we drove, we were always suckers for a good scenic overlook. Have you seen the signs that promise if you pull over, you'll see something amazing? Well, we would stop, and when we did, occasionally we'd come across one of these machines. I loved these when I was a kid. It is the coin-operated viewer. They were like magic. You'd put your quarter in, pull the crank, look through the eyepiece, and sure enough, a glorious distant land would suddenly be close and the technicolor beauty would explode around you. And you better savor the view quickly because time is running out. Your quarter would only buy you some quickly passing seconds. You better enjoy your glimpse. What if you could get a glimpse of heaven? What if there was a magical coin-operated viewer that somehow gave you a view of heaven? What would you pay for that? I know a lot of you are like, that's impossible, Jeff. You, you can't know what lies beyond the grave. So many assume that we'll just have to wait till we get there to discover what that life is like. But that's not true. You can know now because God's told us. In the Bible, in fact, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the last two chapters of that book, God gives a vivid description of the eternal home he is preparing for his people. Friends, we need to learn about heaven. I'll tell you why. Learning about this life is of some value, but let's be honest, this life is passing really quick. It doesn't last long. This life is like a road stop. That life is our eternal home. This life is just going to be gone. That life will last forever and ever and ever. And so we need to understand and appreciate the beauty of heaven. As we go on this five-week tour, this series is a five-week tour of God's eternal home for us. It's going to transform the way we view death. It'll change the way we anticipate life there and then. And it's actually going to change the way we live this life. So are you ready? Are you ready for your tour? It's time for a glimpse of heaven. So I, I wonder what you think you'd see if you could look through one of those babies and see heaven. Everybody's got a perception in their mind of what they think heaven is like. I wonder how correct your perception is. I'll tell you, mine was way off for a long time. I used to think heaven was like what's on this mug. I was given this mug a long time ago. I've kept it because, uh, look, this, this is what people, that's what I thought heaven was like. It's a far side, remember Gary Larson? It does. Dude sitting there in his robe, his angel outfit, you know, and wish I brought a magazine. <laughs> Isn't that what people think heaven is like? First of all, this environment, you know, it being uh, on clouds. You're like floating out there. Some would say you become an angel when you die. But all would, or many would say, sure sounds boring to me. Remember to bring a good magazine because you're going to need it. It's going to be boring. I used to think heaven sounded really boring to me. 
Friends, uh, that is very prevalent. I'll give you a quote of a guy. This is Isaac Asimov, the famous science fiction writer, wrote for a long time. Here's what he said. I don't believe in the afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. Wow. First of all, I'm not sure how choosing not to believe in something takes away the danger, but we'll, we'll go with it. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. Now, I appreciate Isaac just saying what most don't have the guts to say, but think. And that is that heaven sounds really boring. And yes, if it's like this mug, it is really boring. And so, is it like this? How did this whole view of heaven come about? I thought maybe I'd give you a little history of the origin of this perception of heaven being an immaterial, floating out there, I've become an angel kind of thing. First of all, it dates back to a Greek by the name of Plato. I married a Greek, so I'll, tell, I'll just say it. Greeks ruined the world. Uh, anyways, now here, that's not true. That's a joke. I love Greeks. Plato was really smart, a philosopher who believed that the material world was bad and that the spiritual world was where it's at. Sounds Christian at first glimpse. But he went on to say, you know, the physical is awful. It's evil. We got we to gotta dream of that day. We will shed this earthly shell, get rid of our physical body. Let's dream of the day we will escape this physical world and get to a spiritual world. The emphasis on the spiritual over the physical sounded right to the early Christian fathers. And so those spiritual leaders, those Christian pastors, sought to integrate Platonic thought into Christian theology. And that's how they came up with this view, this otherworldly view of heaven. And boy, did it stick. It's been 2,000 years, and it's still the dominant view of heaven. Now, when it comes to people becoming an angel when they die. I didn't know where that origin was until I did a little research and I discovered it was this guy, Emanuel Swedenborg. He's a Swedish theologian, Lutheran guy. Back in 1758, he wrote a book on heaven and he speculated that when you die, you become an angel. That just made sense to him, and it exploded in popularity ever since then. You know, my Norwegian grandfather said, don't ever trust the Swedes. And boy, was he right. I should have, you know, he didn't. So here's the problem with Plato and Emmanuel. They're both speculating. They're both using their reason, their imagination to come up with what they say about heaven. And friends, you can't do that. What you think What I think doesn't matter. We're guessing. What matters is what God thinks. He is the one who knows. He's the maker of heaven. And so we're going to study the Bible. Uh, In fact, this, this message is entitled, The Environment of Heaven. And to know the environment of heaven, we're going to look in the book because God gave us a book to tell us. When it comes to understanding God, we don't guess. We look at his self-revelation. When it comes to understanding the way to get right with him, we don't guess. We look at the book. It tells us his description when it comes to heaven. And we want to know, are we floating around on clouds? We go to the book. And we're going to the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And here I start now with Revelation 21, verse 1. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This verse is so chock full that believe it or not, we're going to spend the entirety of our message going no further than verse 1, all right? And I'll start with highlighting these words. Then I saw. Who's I? And what do you mean he saw? So let's start with the eye. The eye is the Apostle John. John was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, one of Jesus' best friends. The only of the disciples who wasn't killed for his faith. All the others were martyred. John, at this moment, is an old man. He has been arrested for his faith and imprisoned on an island called Patmos. And it's in that prison, at that old age, that he had a vision. When John says, I saw, it's, it's that God has placed this video, if you will, in his mind. God just said, John, you need to know what heaven's like, not for your sake, but for the people's sake. John, you're an author of Scripture. God said, before you die, you're the last of the disciples. I need to give a little more information. And so God gave John this vision of heaven for our sake so we'd know. You'll notice I've highlighted the word revelation here, the title of the book, because the whole book is a revelation. It's a vision that God has given John of what the future, and specifically in these chapters, of what heaven is like. All right, next slide. I highlight these, this last phrase because it gives us an idea of when this heaven is that John is seeing. He says, I saw a new heaven and an earth for, at this point, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That tells us this is in the future. This, he was not getting a view of heaven today. He was getting a view of heaven when this earth has passed away. And this earth is still here, and it was here in John's day. So it wasn't the now. One of the things we find in Scripture is there is a present heaven, and then there's a future heaven. It's the future heaven that John saw. The present heaven is great. We know that Jesus, when he was talking to the guy dying on the cross with him, he said to that thief on the cross, he said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And so when people, Christians, die today, they immediately go to a glorious present heaven that's described as paradise. And they're immediately with Jesus. It is amazing, but it's not the future heaven that we're going to focus on in this series. You say, why are we focusing so much on the future heaven? Because of the longevity of our time there. We are going to be there for a long, 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 uh, for eternity. You know, for billions and trillions of years. And since that is our dominant eternal home, it warrants the focus of our attention in this study. All right, next slide. I am highlighting these quotation marks. It's so interesting. When John goes to describe what it is he saw, he chooses words that are a quote from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 65, verse 17. God prophesied through Isaiah the prophet, I will someday make a new heaven and a new earth. And Isaiah knew, or John knew those words. And sure enough, when he saw that, he's like, it's true. So he quotes. The reason I put the quotes there is to just emphasize that though we're looking at Revelation 21 and 22, they are not the only section of Scripture that talk about heaven. There's much in Isaiah and beyond that speak of heaven in our Bible. All right? All right, next slide. All right, this is confusing. 
The word heaven can mean two things, all right? And you got to understand both of them. One use of the term heaven is how we're using it in the title of this series. A glimpse of heaven. Heaven as in the eternal home and where we're going to be with God when we die. Uh, That's one way you can refer to heaven. The other use of heaven in the Bible is to refer to the heavens, which is a reference to outer space and the sky. And it's that that's being used here. When John says, I see a new heaven and a new earth, he's he's talking about a new universe that God is creating. There's new galaxies and new nebulae and there's new black holes and all the wonders of outer space. That's what's being referred to here. And so now let's go to earth. (laughs) And this is the shocker, friends. Maybe it's not a shock. Maybe it is. No clouds No drifting in an immaterial world. Our eternal home is a planet. A big, round, made of dirt and rock planet. One of the things that is shocking about Scripture as we contrast the the view of the world regarding this ethereal floating place is that the view of Scripture, I got another mug here, and this one's full of dirt, soil. It's a mug-o-earth right here. This is a better picture of what our eternal home will be. Physical. We will have physical bodies, resurrection bodies on a resurrected planet. That is our eternal home. When We look at the scriptures, they describe a very physical environment. In fact, I'll I'll, I'll just give you a little foretaste of what's to come in Revelation 21 and 22. When we look at these glorious passages, here, this is what we're going to find. We're going to find described in those two chapters a bustling city with magnificent walls and huge gates that swing open to winding streets. There are majestic mountains, natural springs that are creating rushing rivers of crystal clear water. There are stately trees and there is delicious food and there are precious gems. And for you animal lovers, there are wonderful animals. That doesn't say that in these last two chapters, but other passages about heaven make it clear. Incredible animals will fill this new environment. But we are going to a planet. And I will go even further to convey my conviction that the planets we're going to, it's called Earth here because it is this Earth. And you say, what? No, seriously. I am convinced that heaven, our eternal home, is this planet restored and remade. And I, and I am in the majority, the majority of scholars would agree with that. There are some who argue, no, it's a totally new planet, but they're in the minority. And I'm convinced that the dirt of this earth will be our eternal home uh, for scriptural reasons and for theological reasons. Uh, what we discover in scripture is this theme of redemption. You know redemption? That's Jesus came to save the day, to redeem humanity and the world. Uh, There's a problem. The problem is human sin and rebellion. Everything went wrong. Adam and Eve said, we don't need you, God. We're not going to follow you. You can talk. We're not listening. 
And that cosmic rebellion caused the curse. The curse is how everything has gone wrong. Everything's in decay and death and disaster and disease and suffering and relational breakdown causing so much agony. It's a mess. Jesus comes to save the day. The coming of Jesus Christ is the coming of the Savior, the rescuer, the hero. And he died on the cross for the sins of humanity. And we tend to say that his rescue is only for human beings, for personal salvation. And it is that. But we find in Scripture it's for more. He didn't come just to save people. He came to save the universe and free the universe from the curse and to restore the beauty that God intended. Here, I'm going to show you a bunch of verses that point to this restoration theme, this Jesus loves renovation. You ever, you've watched the reality TV shows where like a horrible house is, is restored. Someone says, oh, I got a dream. You know, you're, you say, my dream is bulldoze it down. And they say, no, no, no. I'm going to strip it down to the studs. I'm going to rebuild this house in glorious fashion. That's what we're about to see. That's what God, God's in that business. He may strip it down to the studs. In fact, there's a passage in 1 Peter 3 that says the earth will be laid bare. It's, it implies that it, like a bulldozer just taking it all down. But the same ball of dirt is going to be remade in glorious fashion. Because the Lord loves remaking things, saving the day. Look at this. Colossians 1 verse 20. God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things through Christ. All things through Christ. All things, not all people. All people are not reconciled. Many, those who have trusted Christ are saved, but those who refuse to be reconciled to God will go to hell, separated from God forever. Here it's saying all things. It's speaking of the physical universe. Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When you think of the shed blood of Christ on the cross, is it for you? Absolutely. But it's more than just you. It's to restore all that's gone bad and fix this broken planet. Here, look at Jesus' passion for renewal. Revelation 21, verse 5, Jesus says, I am going to make all things new. All things, the universe, it's broken, Jesus says, but I'm here to make it all new. How about Matthew 19, verse 28? Jesus speaking of the end of time, he says, at the renewal of all things. I love that. Christ says, there's a glorious moment at the end. Here's what it is. I'm going to renew, restore, rebuild all things. Even Peter understood this. He said in Acts 3.21, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things. Restoration. I love that word. That's the passion of God, is to take what's broken and to make it right. That's why he wants to take this dirt, dirt from planet Earth, and say, let's, I know it's all bad, but it's not over. The story's not over. Let's restore and make it new. I've saved my favorite for last. Here's Romans 8.21. All creation was subjected to God's curse. That's all the brokenness, the pain and suffering that has come as a result of human rebellion. Look at this. But with eager hope, 
The whole creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in the glorious freedom from death and decay. The creation, the created world, the, the earth, is viewed, uh, it's viewed as a person here. It's got a like personal uh, characteristic. It's longing, it's hoping for the day when the creation will join God's children in getting freed from the curse. Let's highlight join God's children. What are we going to experience that the creation is looking forward to? This glorious freedom from death and decay. You know what that is? That's a description of our physical resurrection. Our resurrection bodies will not be bound to decay and death like these bodies are. Do you know that you will be bodily resurrected? You know, we, last week at Easter, we celebrated that Jesus was resurrected, that his dead corpse was filled with life. The body Jesus is in right now is the same body he was in on planet Earth, now renewed and improved. And we as Christians are promised a bodily resurrection like Jesus. You may not know this, but let me make it clear that if you're a Christian, you will be in heaven someday and you will be in that body remade, perfected. Uh, you're like, phew. Uh, you're like, no, I don't want to be in this body forever. But no, you will. God says, I'm going to take your body out of the grave and remake it in a perfected version. And when you look at your resurrection body in heaven, it'll be the same stuff uh, that you, had, you were composed of back in the first life. And you say, but wait a minute, what about those who have been cremated? I mean, poor them. They didn't know this point. They're going to regret that. No, no, no. Um, Here's the good news. Those who were cremated as well as those who were buried 2,000 years ago. I mean, they're just dust now too. Our God, look at Genesis. In Genesis, he made Adam and Eve how? Out of the dust. The Lord specializes in gathering molecules and atoms from deceased people, finding them. They were cremated and scattered at sea. No problem. He, will get, he is capable of everything. He will gather the dust and remake their resurrection body out of their old stuff. And you say, why is he going through all that effort? Why just not make a new body out of new stuff? And, and I'll tell you why. This choosing to resurrect our old body just says what God wants to say, and that is that he doesn't give up on us. That he's the kind of God that won't admit defeat. That he will renew what is broken. Uh, It may be a disaster, it may look like death, but death will not win. I will conquer death and restore that which has been crushed. This is the story of God's great redemption. Now, we go through physical resurrection where our old uh, elements and material is brought into new life. The passage here says that creation is looking forward to the same thing we will enjoy. We will enjoy our old body being resurrected into a new and glorious body. So planet Earth looks forward to its old elements being resurrected and brought into a new and fuller display. I'm real passionate about this theme of this earth being resurrected in part because of what it says about God, what it says about Satan. You know, if if God gives up on this earth and just says, oh, it's all a mess, just forget it all, it kind of gives Satan a victory he doesn't deserve. 
It's kind of like God says, oh, those who believe that we don't have this planet renewed, their view of God's story would be this. It all started good. There was the Garden of Eden, and God made a wonderful thing, and he made wonderful people, and he was so close to them, and then it all went wrong. Satan won the day. Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and they gave in, and they rebelled from God, and the whole planet is cursed, and it's all a mess. God's wringing his hands in defeat, and those people would say that, oh, there's good news. It's an evacuation strategy. Jesus died on the cross so God can pull some of the people out of this disastrous, failed experiment. Evacuation, does that thrill you? I I watched an evacuation movie recently. It was about World War II, the miracle at Dunkirk. It was great. I mean, I know the, the, the British people view it as one of their greatest victories. They swept in. Even civilians on boat went over to France, got the soldiers who were trapped, surrounded by Nazis, brought them back to the island, to England, and it was viewed as a great victory, but it's an evacuation. You know what's a better victory? Attack and conquer. God would agree with me on that point. God says, yeah, Satan, here's how it goes. You, you had a great victory. You've won a battle, but you have not won the war. And God says, I came to build a wonderful world with wonderful people, and I am not giving up. Jesus has come to conquer, to rescue, to restore not only people, but my universe that I have made. I've had a setback, God would say, but I'm going to have a comeback. You have not seen the end of me, and in the end, Jesus Christ conquers and dominates, and God's vision is restored. Do you see the beautiful story that understanding heaven as God's conquering restoration brings about? Let's go back to our verse. So we looked at the word earth, and now I want to zoom in on new, because, you know, earth is all about, it's going to be familiar, it's going to be like this planet, but lest we think it's too much like this planet, we need to be reminded that it's not the earth, it's a new earth. It's this earth renewed, made new. And that word that's translated new, there are actually a number of Greek words that could have been used for new. Uh, God, John, picked the word Cain, which means new and improved. There's an improved quality that's inherent in this word new. And so it reminds us that, yes, it's similar, but remember, it's better. It's the new and improved version. It's like the new iPhone that comes out and makes you hate the one you got. You know, it's got all these things that the old one didn't have. And that's the deal with this new earth that we anticipate. It's similar in so many ways, but it is better. And how is it better? Two ways it's better. The first is that the curse is gone. We've already seen that. This earth is marred with all the pain and suffering, disease, destruction. That will be removed. But that's not the only betterness about it. If, if that's all was the removal of the curse, then heaven would be like the Garden of Eden. But the Bible says heaven is better than the Garden of Eden. Not only is the curse removed, this is a new and improved version of God's sculpture. It's like God's the artist, and he said, you like this world? Yeah, I made it, but I've saved my best for later. You've not seen the best I can do. You wait till you see the next earth. 
the mountains will be more glorious. The rushing rivers will take your breath away and make these look small in comparison. Music will rise to higher soul-elevating levels. It's all going to be amazing. It's going to be better. Just let your mind dream as to what that looks like. God's saying, yeah, this glorious creation I've made tells you what I do, but you wait. The next, the new earth is a whole other level. I want to highlight these two words, new earth. Friends, as you take away this message, just take those two terms. They will serve you so well. Where are we going to be? What is the final heaven going to look like? It's a new earth. Earth reminding us that it's physical and it's like this earth. The things that we love about this earth will be there or an improved alternative to them. But it's also new. This reminds us that the things we hate about this world will be fixed and removed and all the suffering will be gone. Where are we going? A new earth. And when you understand that, the implications in your daily life are immense. You may not see that right away. How is this going to change my life today? C.S. Lewis gives us a statement that's helpful to show us how it's going to change our lives today. C.S. Lewis says, Whenever, when you really understand heaven as the new earth, Lewis said this, we have joy when this world reminds us of the next. And we take solace whenever it does not. Let me clarify. Whenever we see glorious things in this world that remind us that we're going to a new and improved earth, we have so much joy in the anticipation of the better version of this wonderful thing. That's the joy that it can bring. Joy of anticipation. We're about solace. Every time we see things in this world that we know are awful and painful but will be removed, we are comforted to know that these awful things are temporary and will soon be past and will not be a part of our eternal existence. Great truth. Are you living this? I, I lived this this week. Can I share just like personally how this truth about heaven impacted my life this week? I'll give you a, a good thing and a bad thing, a joy and a solace. The joy was when, uh, about a week ago now, I, I went with my daughter, Jora, who's a freshman in college, my 11-year-old son, Jake. The three of us took a walk in a forest preserve. Just gr- I love the woods. This, you know, no leaves in the trees, so it's just like a piece of art with all of these trunks and branches creating this, this sculpture of geometry. It was just gorgeous. The crystal clear air. We stumbled upon a tree that had fallen over another tree, creating like a natural teeter-totter. And Jake and Jared jumped up on one end of this trunk, and I jumped up on the other, and we started rocking it back and forth, trying to knock each other off. We were laughing. And I just had a thank you, God moment, you know, where I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. Love my kids. Love creation. Love fun and laughter. And then I thought of heaven, and I thought, oh my, how will the woods of heaven be like? Can't wait to see them. How will human relationships be new and improved? Can't wait to enjoy them. How will 
activity and laughter and fun be at a higher level. I can't wait. And my enjoyment of this world caused me to anticipate with even greater excitement the next improved expression. So that's the joy part. What about the solace part? I also received a phone call from a dear friend out of town who said, Jeff, I've had a sore back, went to the doctor, and uh, they did an x-ray and found I have a cancerous tumor wrapped around my spine. It's disintegrating my vertebra. And then they found the cancer is spread to other parts of my body too. I love this guy. And hearing of his physical pain presently and knowing now what he probably has in store, I just ached for him. I hate cancer. And I hate when precious people suffer in this way. But I took solace this week knowing cancer is going to be gone soon. And the suffering and the awful aspects of this world are promised to be removed because we're adding to the new earth where the curse is removed. And though it's awful, I receive some comfort from the Lord and the reminder of the temporary nature of suffering. Friends, our view of heaven matters. It will change everything in how we live this life. Can I close with an example that I got from my son, Jake? Jake has been so helpful. He's taught me much. And uh, Jake has a passion for dinosaurs. I took him to the Field Museum. He could have spent all day looking at the bones of these ancient giant monsters that God created. He's got books on dinosaurs. His favorite movie series... Jurassic Park. He's watched all of them so many times. And he would tell you on June 22nd, you know what's coming out? Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. The next one. He can't wait. He's counting down the days to June 22nd. It's almost here, Dad. It's almost here. It's almost here. There's a three-minute trailer that they put out about this movie. I can't tell you how many times Jake has watched that trailer with giddy delight. I can't tell you how many times he has forced me to watch that trailer with him. And I always do because it's so fun to watch Jake watch the trailer. He studies the trailer to try to pick up subtle uh, references to what the plot will be. Who are the characters? What's the problem? What's going to happen? And Jake just delights in what the trailer tells him about what's to come. He looks at the special effects. He's like, Dad, do you realize these special effects? These are better than any of the previous movies. Those dinosaurs are going to be so alive. You know, he's so excited. Hey, that's where we are today. We're living the trailer. Do you realize that? This isn't the thing. This is just the little thing that gives you a hint of the thing. And so we should study the trailer and look at the woods and the mountains, and the people, and the music, and the art, and say, oh my, this is telling me a little bit of a greater expression of what is to come. I can't wait. But it's not just studying the trailer, it's enjoying the trailer. Jake watches the trailer not just so that he can understand a little bit of what's to come. He really enjoys watching that trailer. He gets so caught up and excited. He enjoys the trailer because he knows it's just promising more to come. We should enjoy the trailer. 
Live the trailer. Enter into the joy of the trailer knowing that it's giving you a foretaste, a teaser of the greater blessing and joy to come in the real thing. How cool is that? That's our story. Friends, are you counting down the days like Jake is to this movie? He's like, it's almost here, it's almost here. That should be our excitement, anticipation for the great restoration, for the great redemption, for the great renewal that Jesus is preparing for his people. I'm going to close in prayer, but I want to make this a specific kind of prayer. My greatest fear in this series is that somehow you'd come to the assumption that we're studying the heaven that everyone goes to. No, 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 no. We're studying the eternal home for some, those who have been reconciled to God, those who remain in rebellion and refuse to accept the gift of reconciliation Jesus has extended. They don't go to heaven. They go to a place called hell where they're separated from God forever. And so it's so important that I make it clear, do you want to go to this place called heaven? Well, then you've got to do business with God. You've got to seek reconciliation with your maker on his terms. And his terms are this. He's provided a way. It's his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the rebellion for your sin so that forgiveness and reconciliation can be freely accessed for any you want it. I know it's about a little redundant. I gave an opportunity at the end of the, the message on Easter last week, but I feel the need to do it again just because we're studying heaven, and if you want to be there, I want to show you how. All you got to do is in prayer, cry out. And I'm going to close in prayer, but what I say isn't nearly as important as what you say silently because God's listening. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. And if you want to get right with God and know you're going to heaven, join me. Lord, I, we want to go to heaven, to this new earth, to taste of the glory of the first morning and that improved home that you are preparing. And Lord, we just can't wait. We cannot wait. Jesus, we know you came to save the day, that you are the great restorer, the rescuer, the redeemer. And so Jesus, rescue us. Sweep in and save the day in our lives. Take away our guilt and sin, Jesus Christ. Be our Savior. We ask you to forgive us. Apply what you did on the cross, that death on our behalf. Apply it to our lives, even now. And Jesus, not only take our sin, take our life. It's broken down, but you specialize in restoring broken down things. And so be the Lord, the King, the leader of our lives and make something beautiful out of our broken lives. We want in. We want to say yes to your offer. Jesus, we want to be with you both now and for all eternity. We look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We got a fun song, do we not? Uh, I love this song. This is, you know, you go through phases where like a song has become your favorite song. Uh, this song has become my favorite song. It's profound. It, it celebrates creation, God creating the world. And we appreciate creation even more now, realizing it's not only the place we enjoy today, but it speaks of our home to come. And so we want to celebrate his creation. But the song goes on to tell of the redemption, of the rescue that Jesus came to bring, the restoration 
that we anticipate. So let's stand and let's worship God, the creator, the redeemer.